0: There are a number of times where actually beer and spirits should not be aligned and that spirits work very hard for everybody to be in the same tent because it is in their best interest for that to be case, but beer doesn't. Welcome to episode 416 of Brews News Week, recorded today, Thursday the 27th of April 2023. I'm Sabrina Kootens, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ian Watson. Hey, Ian. Hey, Sabrina. And Matt Kierkegaard, who's, this will be your uh, last Brews News Week for a couple of weeks as you head over to CBC, Matt.
1: Well, for, for we're not sure how long it's going to because I'm off to uh, CBC tomorrow night. Well, uh, America, and then on to CBC. Uh, and it's going to be uh, pretty well when then I'm on holidays. And so who well, then knows? we've got
0: the AIBAs, then you're on holidays. So we'll see. We might try and um, get a little bit of that CBC info out of you before. Actually, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> definitely try and holiday. phone in.
1: So actually, what, what time is it now? Nashville current time. <laughs> Okay, it's ten fifteen in <laughs> it's it's ten fifteen in Nashville. So let me see. So Wednesday night. So actually, this time in two weeks, I'll be at a Hoodoo Guru's concert in <laughs> Nashville. So <laughs> I, 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 unless you want to do it first thing in the morning on Thursday morning, which is uh, uh, a little bit later in the afternoon, um, I'm unlikely to uh, be on. I'm still while.
0: stuck on wanting to make fun of you for Gurus. so um, I'm just going to pause there. Um, and maybe we can move on to the news this week, and we're going to do it a little bit differently because we've got uh, various bits and pieces of news that have been both breaking and moving feasts that are all to be published sort of in the next couple of days. So they're in... Um, Various states of work.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been a really slow, like in terms of news news, there's been a lot of promotional activity and things. But in terms of news that we've wanted to cover, it's been fairly slow. And seeing I'm working on those, uh, I'll read the headlines. Just coming in today, um, Endeavour Group makes 14-day payment terms permanent for small suppliers following the introduction of the Pandemic Support Initiative in March 2020. These payment terms will support Australian suppliers who receive payments from Endeavour, a group of less than $1 million uh, and with less than $10 million in annual turnover. More than three years on from the announcement of the first lockdowns and uh, pandemic-related restrictions, Endeavour Group CEO and Managing Director Steve Donahue said recent years have presented a range of challenges for small suppliers across the industry. In order to have a vibrant drinks industry, it is important these businesses are given every opportunity to succeed.
0: Yes, well, Matt, that's why I put that quote in because I thought the irony of the Managing Director of Endeavour Group saying they want to give a vibrant drinks industry and small operators every opportunity to succeed, notwithstanding their dominant market power, but then also saying and the vibrancy um, and taste development and preferences and the ability to meet consumer demands relies on small businesses. I mean, yeah, I I almost threw something.
1: Yeah, and, and, well, we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, you know, and yeah, you know, we, we had the great discussion last week about uh, Nick Boots's you know views about it, which were very informed. Um, and you know, look, on one hand, small brewers will absolutely be celebrating um, this because it's one of the, um, and and I'll get Ian to actually weigh in on this because it's one of the bane's of their existence is. Waiting for payment from a company that is basically using them as finance in a lot of ways with long term payments. Um, so that's, you know, absolute congratulations. But then, you know, again, so they should because they can. They're not, you know, they're, they're not like a small bottle shop that, you know, needs to sell something for, for cash flow. They have been using them for cash flow. And then there's all of the other things. So this is a small SOP, it's window dressing, despite the benefits that will accrue to small brewers but um Ian can probably uh, talk a little bit more about that
2: yeah this will be highly beneficial to to small brewers and, and uh will be welcomed with open arms by by all of them I, I i do believe what this can do for your cash flow is is quite significant um so if if you are playing in that space of dealing with a, a company like endeavor um this is this is a big win um Big win for those people, and yeah, it's something that they probably examined over this last three years, and they've gone, okay, well, our payment terms are normally X, Y, and Z. We've made them fourteen days. It hasn't affected our cash, our cash flow significantly. Being in dev, in dev groups, and we are keeping favour with our suppliers. So it's 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 something that they they've realised that they're they're able to do. They wouldn't do it if they couldn't do it, um, or if it was causing them to much stress so they're able to do it they do it it's great
0: yeah and i think so for me it was two things um the first is um yes they're able to do it they need to keep favor with small brewers and be seen to be keeping favor with small brewers in light of these other issues so um it is a great practical thing that, that can be done and the second is that we know um with rolling and potential additional voluntary administrations and the net impact of $0.04 cents in the dollar to on the supply end for breweries, that their um, payment terms are getting tightened um, in terms of uh, cash up front or volumes or payment terms on the supply side for breweries, So, which is having an impact on cash flow. So to be able to have the, the money move uh, more quickly is really beneficial to breweries, so that they can, you know, buy their necessary supplies um, and be able to afford to fund the volume that they need based on cash flow. So, I mean, I think it's it's a it's needed in this current economic climate, uh, particularly for small breweries. So,
1: this is where what what it comes back to, even the way that you enunciate that, uh, Ian. They've looked at it. They've seen the impact on their cash flow. They've realised that there's no loss to them in doing this. So it's not about we're doing this for our suppliers. We're doing this because we can. Um, you know, it explains it's one of those everything things that-
0: you need to know about market dominance, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's there's no skin off their nose in doing it. So why not? Why not do it? Um, they're not doing it yeah, well, yeah, from the exactly. goodness of their own heart. Um, it's just they've realised that while they had that um, those payment terms in place previously uh, because it did help them, that probably the volume that the small producers, those small producers are in through DANS is you know nothing in comparison to the others. So this cash flow difference is nothing to them. So hey, we might as well make a good good story out of it, um, which still doesn't doesn't put take away from the fact that it is now a better condition for the small producers.
0: Absolutely. And the other thing that I thought was interesting was how they, uh, what constitutes small to them. So a small supplier is where Endeavour Group purchases less than a million dollars at wholesale price a year, and that, that small business has less than $10 million in annual turnover. Not a lot of our small breweries have, you know, any. But how much financial information do they need to
1: give up to Woolworths to um, establish that they have what their turnover is? It wouldn't take too much guesswork
2: for them to realise if you're significantly below that. It's more when you get to the borderline of, of that, but you, you, you could pretty figure out most of them are, are probably below that mark.
0: Right. So, Matt, the next story you've been working on is something that I've helpfully put in the notes called Health Thing.
1: Yes. So um, this is one that I'm halfway through writing. It will go out this afternoon, but it's an interesting study. Uh, yesterday, I got an email from Dylan Firth, by coincidence, uh, who's the Brewers Association executive director who we had on the Beers of Conversation podcast. So it was a media release where the Brewers Association of New Zealand was highlighting a study by the Public Health and Ep- Epidemiology Research Group from Spain's University of uh, Mercia? Mercia, someone will correct me on that. And they studied 33,185 adults with the results highlighting uh, that occasional and moderate beer drinkers have better mental and self-perceived health benefits and social support compared to abstainers. Um, Dylan, in his media release, included a couple of quotes saying that uh, this showed benefits associated with moderate consumption of beer. Um, This, as well as other studies, show a regular beer consumption boosts the gut bacteria and reduces diabetes and heart disease risks. It also helps fight dementia through reducing brain toxic substances. According to this study, uh, the moderate alcohol consumption is defined as drinking one pint, um, of 5% beer per day. um, And it concluded that uh, it showed a J-shaped relationship with self-perceived physical, mental, and social, emotional health. Uh, with better values at moderate levels so the J curve is if you're an abstainer you've got a certain level of um, you know detriment um, or you know negativity that drops slightly uh, in the case of moderate drinkers as defined above but then the further you go along which is the more you drink it starts to uptick again so it's a, a shape of a J and those studies have shown that um, you know, you might remember a thing called the French Paradox, where it found that you know drink French drinkers who I think had a you know a glass of red wine a day, you know, despite their diets, you know, had better cardiovascular outcomes. And the uh, wine industry jumped on that, marketing wine as almost a health beverage. Um, so Dylan was highlighting those results as well as this study from the University of. Uh, Masia, Machia. Um Now, I'm always a little bit worried about any of these results because the media jumps on these as clickbait and really emphasizes what are fairly moderate benefits. Um, and Curiously enough, last week, there was a there was an article that I had on my um, list to follow up on that was in Slate, and it is an excellent um, bit of journalism uh, by, uh, you know, someone who's qualified to write it, an award-winning science journalist, Tim Requath, um, that he really looked at, you know, 20, 30 years of studies, including... Um, this growth of the idea of the French paradox and the J curve that showed um, cardiovascular and other benefits um, in moderate drinkers compared to non-drinkers, and then you know the um, you know the, the the increasing risk associated with heavy drinking, and more recent studies have tended to show if there is a J curve at all, it's very shallow. Um, so again, I don't want to paraphrase that article too much because I think it's about 3,000 words. It's a very, very comprehensive and detailed review. There will be a link in the article that I'm writing that will go out today, and uh, so it'll be on Brews News, but I really highly recommend anybody with an interest in this read it um, because it's very comprehensive um, review, but it finishes with, and we're, we're talking about the epidemiology of it, you know, the medical outcomes associated with um, alcohol, the health outcomes. And the article concludes with a quote from Sarah Hartz, who's a professor of psycholo- psychiatry at Washington University School of Medicine, who led a team that published a paper titled Daily Drinking is Associated with Increased Mortality. Um, and you know, it was a very, very comprehensive study again. But again, she finishes with, and again, I'm selectively quoting from, from a 3,000-word article that I think is fair summaries of it, but that's why I want everyone to go and read it themselves, just to keep me honest. But the end quote um, in this article is the main message is not that drinking is bad, it's that drinking isn't good. Those are two different things. Hart said in the article, "Life has risks associated with it, and I think drinking is one of them." So essentially, you know, uh, it says that there is a slightly elevated risk of, uh, whilst it doesn't cast doubt on some of the cardiovascular benefits and some of the other benefits that, needless to say, that Dylan highlighted in his media release. There is a growing level of study that is showing the carcinogenic properties of alcohol. That you know, we've really seen uh, agencies like Fair highlight. Um, but you know, on, on one hand, you know there are cardiovascular benefits. On the other hand, and that's where I think it's a really nice quote that ties it all up. Um, even if the J curve is gone. Moderate drinking, you know, isn't associated with massively elevated risks, but this comes back to the University of the the, the Spanish study um, that was the topic of this article, um, and I do have to say that the study was funded by the Spanish Brewers Association, which is one of the things that's often fingers that's often pointed at some of the studies that it's funded by people who have a vested interest. But as we also point out, FAIR is funded by um, the government, um, and a lot of the studies are funded by FAIR. So, you know, funding has to come from somewhere. But the interesting thing is that a lot of the medical studies that uh, are referenced in um, the Slate article that show that the, the J-curve may be flattening slightly Look at medical, so it looks at cardiovascular, it looks at um, cast you know, the, the, the carcinogens, it looks at you know, gut bacteria and those sorts of things. What they don't do is what this study did, it brings in some of the things that I've talked about over the years, which is what is the social benefits of alcohol and. When you look at those, is there a benefit? And that's what this study did. So I, I actually reached out to um, to the journalist uh, in, in this case. I, again, my area of expertise isn't alcohol. Um, we do comment on it as people who have a you know a, a more than passing interest in it. But you know, when you read this article from Tim, um, he really has. Deep-dived into the science of the medical um, things, and I sent him the the Spanish study and asked him about it um, from from his sort of science journalism, and he he told me I touched upon the potential social, medical, uh, mental health benefits of alcohol in a draft of the article. In the final version, we ultimately decided to restrict the scope to physical health because it was long enough already. Um, However, I see two ways of looking at it. The J-shaped curve for all-cause mortality is real, um, and the social mental health aspects of alcohol consumption partially explain this relationship. Alcohol offers no physical health benefits, but some people may decide that the social mental health advantages outweigh the minor physical risks whether or not the J-shaped curve is real or any pen- potential uh, individual risks are so small, I would certainly continue drinking because I enjoy its social benefits. Um, and he, he then goes into a little bit of detail about the study, pointing out that it was um, funded by the Brewers Association. Um, but anyway, that's a very, very long way that I'm reading it out to you guys, because you guys haven't had the, the um, ability to read the article before we record it. But Um, It it is very interesting. And I also think that the Spanish study highlights that when we look at the ultimate risks of moderate consumption, um, we do need to factor in that people that have stronger societal and, you know, community connections, that Moderate amounts of alcohol can facilitate, and we've seen a lot of you know studies about that. Um, they need to be factored in, and that's something that a lot of the studies that have increasingly been highlighted by agencies such as Fair, I don't think, give any weight to at all.
2: Does it go into? And one thing we can say on both sides of this to those where are uh, consuming those amounts and are f- uh, having. The, what, what what could be seen as, as benefits from it what other factors are in their life like what's their state of, of, of mental health and their social and, and, and having a good social connection and good mental health and then those where it's on the alcohol is having the negative what is their relationship with their mental health and the, uh, their mental health and their um, sense of community and, and societal engagement.
1: Yep. And, and and that's where, um, I, again, I, I, I've linked to all of the studies. So people with an interest in it can read it themselves. I'm really trying not to celebrate this as being go out and drink alcohol and be healthy because it's absolutely not. I'm trying to fairly present it. But that's where the article, um, to, to, to your point, one of the questions that's always been raised about this J-curve is that it looks at abstainers. And one of the flaws that some researchers have pointed to with abstainers is quite often they're abstaining because they already have health issues as opposed to, you know... Um, and so you're looking at people who have health issues. Of course, they're going to have worse outcomes. And then people that have moderate have, you know, a whole range of other benefits in their lives. So it needs to account for that. These studies actually look at that so that... Um, uh, Professor Hartz that I quoted at the very end. Um, she actually did one for people who I drink who who drink once a month to try and rule out people who are abstaining for illness. Um, but I mean, I, I think I've spoken for what forty five minutes already on this on this one article. Um, so these things are dealt with in both of the studies. The level of sophistication of both of these studies is that they are trying to account for, um, you know, people who drink moderate amounts of alcohol tend to be higher socioeconomic, you know, and have certain, you know, social, because there are a lot of people who drink negatively because they have negative mental health outcomes and, and those are things that have been factored in and they are trying to look at it. The Spanish study, I think, is a is a literature review where they went through and looked at other ones um, and they do seem to be, and I'm no expert in this and that's where I have to, But if I'm qualifying it, I, I want to make sure that I'm being fair to it. They do seem to be accounting for those potential confounding variables that um are often subject to criticism. So, but um, it is yeah. that
0: question, Matt, around level of risk. And I think that's sort of where you're at, Ian, which is every person needs to assess their own level of risk and you need to know all of the factors objectively in your circumstances that help you to assess that level of risk. And I think, you know, at a time when um, we're going to talk about this further, Matt, so to me, the relevance of studies like these in sort of pulling them apart is really at a time when we're trying to sell alcohol as healthy because the younger age demographics are opting out of alcohol consumption um, or, or looking for healthy uh, alcohol which is uh, you know and my face makes all sorts of things healthier alcohol um and and you know low carb like whatever people are looking to differentiate their alcoholic product on the basis of health claims it really sort of um studies like these are trying to get to that salient point that sort of says alcohol has risks however it's labelled with carbs or whatever, and each individual needs to assess those risks.
1: And, and, and look, you know, those that they can be, you know, we're increasingly seeing a link between cancer and, you know, alcohol consumption um, with, you know, it, it can be something as simple as your coordination is affected, you know, after even one or two drinks, that things that are inherently risky And I'm inverting commas. Things are inherently risky, like climbing stairs, which you know, climbing stairs sober has risk. That you know, we see a lot of people hospitalised. The risk of that increases, Um, and that's where a lot of the studies look at it. And I, the thing I liked about you know, I certainly don't want to be promoting alcohol is good for you because you know, somebody once um, you know told me who was in alcohol retailing that. People want justification for not changing their behaviour, and that's the, the last thing we want to be doing. But I, I think any you know fair objective analysis of alcohol has to look at the role that it does place um, and has always placed you know as long as we have been communal beings in social you know lubrication and social cohesiveness, um, and that you know most of the purely academic studies that look at you know medical physical medical conditions as opposed to social medical conditions don't weigh that in but you know I would hate for anybody to sort of go out and see this as you know beer is medicine or beer is you know therapy because it's absolutely not
0: we work in an industry that is incredibly complex And Matt, there was a third piece of news. There was, uh,
1: and it's uh, as soon as I jump off this, I'm going to be attending the Mighty Craft um, uh, investor briefing. Their uh, quarterly uh, results, or the you know the quarterly cash flow results, are out, which is what uh, you know ASX listed companies have to do. the headline, and again, so I've, I've only just received this, haven't had a chance to interrogate it, but the headline is Mighty Craft achieves 25% sales growth in Q3 uh, with neutral operating cash result. Um, the interesting things at a glance are better beer sales, which <laughs> essentially better Geez beer like and Kraft. Mighty Craft are one and the same these days. Um, better beer sales of 3.1 million litres. So that's annualized, You know, assuming that... That carried annually. That's twelve million liters, um, which is up from their ten million liter annual um, thing. Of course, that comes out of their high, you know, their their, their Christmas period. Um, that was up seventy eight percent versus the previous corresponding period. Starting to see that flattening. Um, I, I think the previous year it was um, up, you know. 37,000% over the previous corresponding period, because the previous corresponding period had been... That that was an exaggeration, if anyone is... Uh, and they're now cycling a full quarter of sales. Um, beer and cider, 3.8 million liters sold. So there you go. So in the quarter, better beer sales of 3.1 million liters. Everything else was 0.7 uh, of a million liters. Um Sold so, uh, you know, and spirits was 52 million liters. So, um, when you go down uh, in, in, into their explanation a little bit, um, and I won't waste time going to look at it, they've sold Mighty Mooney, so their hospitality is increasingly out. Um, uh, as previously announced, the company is of the view that better beer and premium spirits are the areas of the business that offer the best return on capital in the medium term, which if you turn that on its head, we've been very lucky to uh, pick up the unicorn of better beer because the original strategy that we went to market with and raised, what, $50 million or something was wrong. Um, I, I, I think that's you know that's harsh, but I think essentially they're backpedaling from what their reason um, of existence was... Um, when they launched and they're divesting themselves of their breweries, we've seen, you know, ballistic collapse, um, great numbers, but the reality is that their original strategy is completely, uh, thrown out the, out the window.
0: Is there any opportunity, Matt, for a better beer to exit its relationship with Mighty Craft?
1: I I, I presume so, but they'd be, but they'd be wanting the return. So, um, as I think we, I can't remember whether I wrote the article now yet, but, I think I did that, or maybe talk about it on the podcast, that um, Better Beer has restructured its... That's uh, right. Mighty Craft has restructured its ownership of Better Beer. so That's right. You could only sort of see their holding value, whereas now you're going to sort of see the real value. Yes. Um, we haven't seen the outcome of Better Beer's $20 million capital raising, um, which I was going to invest in. It. Mighty Craft has raised its $5 million which it says it's going to put into, you know, invest in um, marketing for Better Beer, which seems an odd thing given Better Beer is also, unless they have to...
0: The reason I ask that, because it seems like a complex structure in which Better Beer has bought itself a pre-existing company with roles and people and structures, um, but that company is increasingly becoming a one-trick pony. And so if, if... if better beer for any reason was able to say thanks very much we've raised so much of our own we're actually going to appoint our own marketing team we don't want that from you you can remain a shareholder where you have a shareholding but we don't want to pay you management fees anymore we don't want to pay you to do all of these other things we're going to do it ourselves um, because mm. we then we better Beer have control over who those individuals are so on and so forth um Craft has pretty much no business. They are then an investment vehicle into better beer and four (laughs) premium spirits brands, right? They they then just become sort of a holding company because if they're not, if that relationship is severable, which presumably it must be, otherwise, why would they remain separate entities?
1: Well, I I think that's just the nature because talky beverages existed um, with Nick Cogger, who we've had on the podcast before, um, and he's a f- frequent, uh, you know, commenter in our Radio Brews News group, um, so no, no doubt he'll um, answer the. I'm sure he'll answer the question there um, once he listens to this. Um, but we should get him on again, actually. Um, but Torquay Beverages existed beforehand. Mighty Craft invested in Torquay. and again, so Nick can explain this. But I think the money that they invested went into launching better beer i think they yeah. launched it you know uh, but you know it blew up
0: the structure is such that they were that better beer and i use that to mean all of the structures that exist that were talky or whatever hmm. um essentially bought themselves a pre-existing company with skills and expertise that could launch it at a time where they would have had to upscale to buy those expertise themselves but they never merged it's not like they're a single entity
1: mighty craft did with Torquay, what they did with all of the other breweries, they they saw somebody, uh, you know, and, and when you speak to Nick about it, you know, like I, I say that Mighty Craft has failed in its role, you know, sort of said as a craft accelerator. Um, but when you speak to Nick, he says, well, no, it didn't, because that's exactly what they did for us. Um, you know, he they Mighty Craft gave them. It just happens that they've got a very low success rate, you know, um, and pro- probably one of their smallest investments. Has ended up being their biggest return. When you look at, I, th- I think they had a carrying value of 2.5 million when Ballistic collapsed. Um, so plus, you know, um, you know convertible notes and things like that. So in that sense, Minecraft has done exactly that. They invested in Talky Beverages, the money, and Talky Beverages was an investor in. So they've just tidied that out. But to your point, yeah.
0: My point is that better beer is the winner. It is the one that has all the power. Um, the other one is a distribution company and marketing company that would have nothing to distribute and market. So should BetterBeer decide to, um, for any reason, go it alone, there's nothing left to incubate inside Mighty Craft's portfolio.
1: Well, except that they would have a, a stack of money that they either give back to shareholders or then find their next thing. Um, and I, I don't know the nature of, Mighty, Cra- of um, Mighty Craft's deal and whether it's five years or four years or one year um, with Better Beer. Um, Better Beer is going into New Zealand. They're work partnering with Heineken there. Um, you know, so Heineken, you know, and Heineken is seems very bullish um, about the, the brand over there. So. You know, fundamentally, I believe, and Nick, um, if you're listening, which you are, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but for better beer to take control of its own destiny, they would have to buy out Marty Craft's share at whatever its current value is.
0: But it's only got a 33, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, they've got a third share in it, um, and you know, assuming there was an on-foot distribution agreement, would have to pay out the balance of that contract. So they would need someone with very deep pockets to to do that because if um, I think they were looking at 10% or you know 20 million dollars at a valuation of around you know if if, if they got what they hoped around about 200 million so you know somebody needs to find what's that 65 68 million to buy out Mighty Craft if that is the valuation of it Um, and you know. Anyway, so yeah, so but essentially, when you look at Mighty Crafts' results, they've got this whiskey strategy that they started before Better Beer took off, that really, at the time, felt like everything that we've bought isn't growing. We need something to buy some time. Quick, let's invest in whiskey um, because that buys us three years before we have to show any meaningful results. We've got gin and we've got those couple of things. But everything I'm hearing in you know people who are heavily involved in the spirits industry are talking that there's a whiskey glut anyway. So when you read their commentary on um, the whiskey, so whiskey acceleration. The company continued to prudently invest in whiskey stocks during the quarter, albeit at a reduced rate given the focus on cash flow management. Whiskey under maturation increased to 417,000 liters. The company remains on track to deliver against the fy 23 target of 450,000 liters of whiskey under maturation. And when they announced that, like it was their big pivot, um, they raised money to, to get into whiskey, but when this whiskey matures, it's gonna be maturing into a market that's a glut. Um, so, uh, yeah, so increasingly Mighty Craft, when 0.7 of a million uh, liters for the quarter um, from everyone other than uh, beer, so that's what, 1.4, 2.8 million liters across their two big 100% owned breweries and all of the other small ones um, that they're trying to sell. There's not a lot there for a company that you know, has had tens of millions invested.
2: That's a hell of a lot of dollars value in whiskey they're sitting on, even if there is a glut in the market. Uh, and unlike beer where it's got a finite shelf life, they can sit on that $40 million or so worth of 30 to $40 million worth of, of stock that they've they've got there, um, which on top of their uh, potential holding value in um, better beer puts them – Quite good value for what they are on the on the share market, really. If if better be if the better be holdings worth sixty odd million dollars, and they've got thirty to forty million dollars worth of um, whiskey that doesn't isn't going to um, go off. That that's a fair bit of holding, yeah, and quite a difference from their original strategy. But I I think that sounds strongish,
1: and that's certainly their argument. I and mean, that's certainly their argument that they've got that value in whiskey, and that was the only reason I make the point that they've got whiskey, but you also need to sell it. And to some extent there is a, well, we don't have to worry about that. You know, that's for future us to worry about because we've got a couple of years while it's maturing. But at the moment, um, you know, there are a lot of other um, distillers who are making whiskey that's, you know, you, yeah, you that's need to true. Hope that there's a market for it. You,
2: you do have to have a market for it. You do have to be able to sell it. And uh, as we've seen with other businesses, leaving problems to future you is is not a good idea.
0: This discussion around whiskey and spirits links to um, a piece of in other news. Um, that was picked up in uh, Brewbound uh, this week that was reporting on the National Beer Wholesalers Association's Legislative Conference in Washington, DC. So look at that. Um, There is a, a conference just about legislation nationally in the US um, but it basically, the top line of this article, it was celebrating the collective force of the beer category across all three tiers, a notion that is increasingly important as the category faces ongoing competition from spirits and the anticipation of harsher regulations and federal scrutiny in the near future. So bearing in mind this is in the US context, uh, but Matt and I had been discussing um the strong advocacy work of spirits in Australia, and then mm. this um article popped up. I just wanted to read out one of the final lines of it, but it basically says a core issue discussed at the National Beer Wholesalers Legislative Conference was the work of spirits advocacy groups such as the Distilled Spirits Council, of the US, to reduce state excise taxes for spirits-based ready-to-drink canned cocktail and expand where those products can be sold. They credited the spirits industry for being disciplined and executing a 20-year strategic plan to gain market share. While the beer industry hasn't been as collaborative, he encouraged attendees to have eyes wide open to the motives behind spirit priorities and to educate legislators on those motives. We'll post the link to this article into the Radio Brews News Group. But... That is something that is relatively consistent to what we see in Australia and, and in New Zealand whenever the question of excise comes up, whenever the question of, uh, in, in Queensland's case, artisan production comes up. The spirits industry between uh, is incredibly disciplined um, and joined up on on their advocacy for for their market. And um, you know, I, I know that the Independent Brewers Association has been working closely with the Brewers Association in Australia and there's a linkage to the BA um in New Zealand. But you know, if if the lesson from the US is anything for us as an industry here, it's that we really, really need to work together. Um and be eyes wide open to the role that the spirits associations are having in effective lobbying.
2: Yeah, they seem to take a very mature uh, approach to their lobbying and to the way that they um, push themselves in or or promote themselves in in public as well. Um, Vastly different uh, the ways between beer, wine and spirits, how we all go about those things.
1: And and that's yeah. It's interesting. Even speaking to friends in the brewing industry, you know, they don't say this externally, but you know, there is criticism internally, even in the big breweries, that they're such they're so focused on short term sales bumps that they don't focus. And you know, quite often they point to um, you know the work that the 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 spirits industry um, and you know the, the allied industry and you know one of the ones that's been pointed out to me is aperol um, you know which on one hand if you think about it aperol's a bitter drink and one of the things that brewers you know the big brewers always say is oh, young people don't want to drink something that's bitter um, because there is avoidance to it so they've been taking the bitterness of beer down and yet aperol has over you know a ten year period or longer been positioning itself slowly and slowly and slowly as a thing in the marketplace. So you have a lot of people drinking, you know, an Aperol spritz, which is, you know, a a long-term investment that now you see it everywhere. And it's become the sort of, you know, mid-afternoon drink um, in, in, in so many venues. And you just don't see anything, any investment in the whole category of beer, um, the, the, the way that that has so methodically and cleverly been done.
0: And again, sort of when I looked at this in New Zealand, the issue is that um, the RTDs and the um, drinks that are positioned for youth drinks, for want a better term, or plus 18 to 24, are um, often um, spirits-based drinks because you can add in a whole host of sugar. Right to make them, um, and so you know we take the Queensland craft beer strategy. Um, there were even during COVID a number of things that craft brewers wanted to do, and we talked about it previously. The sort of four four cans, and some of the um, people who were against that were the spirits based because they knew that they couldn't be selling a four pack of RTDs. So it's not that we're just competing. It's sort of like well, if if your alcohol can be somewhere because it's five percent, six percent, and it, it just um, whilst alcohol often gets bundled in all together when we're thinking about lobbying and legislative change, there are a number of times where actually beer and spirits should not be aligned, and that spirits work very hard for everybody to be in the same tent because it is in their best interest for that to be case, but beer doesn't.
1: That's a great point. It's, it's very self-interested for spirits to do that. Um, That's
0: right. For, 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 for the playing field to be even uh, at the level that spirits are at is in the best interest of spirits um, and even getting into discussions about what, how would you look at nutritional information um, at a Fezzans level, spirits would get into a big argument about what constitutes a standard drink. There are all sorts of discussions around it where actually beer needs to be saying in the main, you know, our drinks are lower alcohol than percentage alcohol and served in smaller containers than wine and spirits. But we are always the front page for problem drinking.
1: And that's and that's where it comes back to, you know, like the, the stuff that I talk about perception, which is very hard to define, but it's just one of those things. And you and you do see the outcome of it when you see beer is promoted in that way. And you know, I, I get the feeling that when you see the new product development for the big brewers, um, you know, even if it's V B, um, Rather than invest in the beer category as a sophisticated, you know, not wanky, sophisticated, a la cravat-wearing wine, um, but as a aspirational drink, as a drink for you know that's you know socially acceptable and all of those sorts of things, rather than invest in that. They're looking at getting younger people on with things like bang for the buck beers like VX, um, you know, VBVX. So where they make it a smaller package and give you more bang for your buck or getting into, you know, really low bitterness, very much sweetened, um, you know, cocktail beers.
0: As one of our regular posters, Shane, noted in uh, the Radio Brewers News Group this week, there was an article from the Batuta Advocate. 80% of craft beer is actually just Pasito, um, which was rather amusing and really is that point, right? And you and you looked at the comments underneath about what beers are actually available that are aiming to to be that um, sweeter, uh, easier I don't want to say easier to drink because they're not easier for me to drink when they're sort of (laughs) uh, that but it's um it it, it is this sort of piece and I think the, the the reason that um we have flagged this as something that was interesting to us is that we go on and on about the IBA not having a whole lot of um resources we know the BA is funded by the largest three breweries um but is also not you know, as as probably well-funded as Spirits, but the discipline of those entities to work together with the 20-year game plan, with a marketing for the category behind it um, is essential um, and we are not going to see quick returns on that. Um, but, you know, Beer Australia needs to happen.
2: Yes, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and it's us, as the industry that need to, need to do it and we need to look at the past and what we've done and how that's worked short and longer term and examine and come up with a mature response and a mature approach for the future.
0: So uh, if I was going to change my (laughs) label uh, to a non-Pasito label, is there anyone that you guys can think of?
2: Actually, yeah, there there is an interesting speaking about spirits. I was I was speaking to to, to a gentleman last Friday, named Brad and. And he showed me that, you know, the, his company actually does labels, uh, shrink sleeves uh, for beer bottles, beer cans, and also spirits bottles, as, as well as he pointed out to me. Uh, There's a company in, um, in, in Salisbury called Rellings Labels, Stickers, and, and Packaging. I'm not sure if you've, you've heard of them, guys.
1: Mate, funnily enough, I was at a new brewery in Brisbane the other day uh, called Hiker Brewing Concern. And as I drove past, literally around the corner from hiker was this labelling company. I was wondering whether they'd have it. and it turns out that that's exactly who they use. <laughs> so Rallings labels stickers and packaging. Who would have thought? Who? Paul, one of the owners, was at hiker when I got there, <laughs> quite by chance. I don't know if you guys actually saw. And God, this we're going to have to start charging Rallings more money for this. But Daniel Red posted in the Radio Brews news group the story about the champagne of beers. Um, that's right. Miller High Life got crushed because they imported some of it into Belgium and it breaks the appellation control for champagne. And I made the comment that the, um, let's hope that they don't change it to Prosecco because that's got a short lifespan as well at the moment. And uh, one, one of our readers, such is our advertising power, <laughs> that one of our readers Said if you wanted to change your, if you've got a shipment of cans that quickly needs to change a tagline, talk to the team at Rawlings. So you know, even our listeners, um, that's that's where the moment of silence comes in. So, so listeners, if you've got a business that wants to reach brewers and have the brews news effect, give us a call. Or if you do
2: have those labels, it's uh need those labels. I'm sure you can find it through the show notes, but it's one three hundred eight five two two three five or sales at rattling uh, Ian,
0: you have the most beautiful uh radio voice for Everyone reads. says I, that. I feel I, like I, we <laughs> should just I should just be like, Ian, can you read all of our ads? It really just it's <laughs> <is> beautiful. <laughs>
1: Um, I, I don't get any. The only quality comments that I get about, uh, apart from the effectiveness of our advertising, is Ian's dulcet tone. So yes, there you go. Yes, it's
0: lovely. Um, I bring nothing to the table. Um, right. Just so much for uh,
1: so much for not having much news of the week. We're still going to fill the hour.
0: Actually, we've just got a couple of house plugs. So, beer as a conversation this week was with Claire Clouting of Athena Quality Consulting. Really great chat with Claire. I loved it. I um, encourage everybody to listen to that. Um, we've got a couple of Brewery Pro podcasts that have come out recently as a result of the Bintani Trade Day back in February. The most recent was on Saf Brew. So, encouraging you to get into uh read that one. Um, some great chat happening in the Radio Brews News Group this week, um, Facebook group. Uh, search for it on Facebook. Um, but I think with eight minutes to go, Matt, we should cover off on the news that came out today. That um, beer brewer Kieran strikes 1.2 billion dollar deal for Australia's Blackmores vitamins. Kieran Holdings agreed to buy Australian vitamin maker Blackmores for 1.88 billion in cash. Australian in cash as part of a push by the Japanese brewer into health products to reduce its reliance on beer. That's a quote from an article. Kieran Group is working, uh, and this is a quote from Kieran. The Kieran Group is working to create social value and economic value by solving societal issues through our business activities. And we have been transforming our business from a brewing business to the business model creating value across food, beverage, and pharmaceutical domains.
1: Basically, we've given up on beer. <laughs> We're not going to invest in beer, but we'll invest $1.8 billion in... And You wait. Um, this will be... It'll be interesting to see what happens with the, um, not the better for it, but the functional beers, whether there is going to be some tie into functional beers.
0: So I picked those two quotes out of various articles about this because of that precise reason, Matt. So we have, you've written a couple of articles recently about Lion, obviously owned by Kieran divesting um, some of its owned brands and smaller breweries a la Tiny Mountain.
1: There's gonna be more news there, I can I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, the the zeitgeist is telling us that there'll be news coming more news coming out of Lion. And this really goes to show that the parent company has made a very strong strategic decision to diversify its business beyond Uh, brewing specifically and into food, Bev and pharmaceuticals. And so, yes, we might see, um, you know, the isotonic beers and the whatever else is going to come out of um, sort of research and development in that space. But I think it really, if we're reading the tea leaves around what's happening with Lion in Australia, it is a fairly fundamental shift from the position it has held for how many years, Matt, 20, 30, 40 years as kind of the second most dominant, consistently dominant player in the beer space Um, and maybe there's a changing of the guard coming, Um, but it is really, you know, to me this is really a watch this space um, around what happens with Lion.
1: Yeah, and again, look, you know, this is where we're a beer podcast. We talk about things through the lens of beer, and I'm sure for Kieran, it's a very good decision. Time Smart. will tell yep. um, what the, the the result is. But when we advocate for beer and you know show a bias towards um, some breweries over others, it tends to be because a Brewery of line size that owned by Kirin, that's owned by the Mitsubishi Heavy Engineering Consortium or you know, of Concern of Japan. Um, ultimately, they will take a profit from the beer industry when they can, but their investment is in making money, not investing in the beer category. And we just constantly see that over and over again. And, you know, same with Woolworths. Um, and, you know, Coles, that when we have a go and so point these things out, they may be very good business ideas, but it's quite often it's terrible for the vibrancy of the brewing industry because ultimately they don't care.
0: It's really sad because I'd always perceived a lot of the practices that Lyon had put in place particularly around its staffing, so it had done a lot in the world of diversity, it had done a lot in the world of sustainability. You know, they really did pick up some of these big pieces that needed to be pushed for the industry writ large, and because they were such a large employer, their ability to have an influence on the the broader market in terms of leading practices and to be fair and in, in my situation in Australia, a lot of, in New Zealand, a lot of frank sharing of information that smaller breweries couldn't access in those sort of specific knowledge spaces. So I'd always perceived them as a really um, you know quite progressive but I think when you look at Kim, t- taken all together some of the comments about um, big businesses and their inability to turn on a dime and an innovate and the bureaucracy and so on and so forth, it certainly seems like it's caught up with lion um, and at a portfolio level, um, uh, and even beer, and at a portfolio level, um, Kieran is making a choice to, to switch its focus. So it's pretty fascinating. Right, Brewery of the Week, Matt. Uh, brought yeah. to you by Bluestone Yeast. Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you're after one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 0385183172 and talk all things yeast.
1: Yeah, and look, it's, it's not so much a brewery of the week, but uh, listeners will know that I was in Tasmania over Easter and loved um, being in Hobart Brewing. And the other thing I did was I'd never been to Mona before, um, and everyone talks about it. Even getting out of the cab, getting into the cab from the airport, the taxi driver talked about the impact that Mona has had on the, you know, the, the city and the state's economy um, through all of those. So I was really looking forward to seeing it, and you know, anyone that's been there will know how spectacular it is.
0: Museum of Old and New Art.
1: Museum Museum of Old and New Art, um, and it's amazing. But again, again, I love the idea that you know, the guy who started it. Um, also you know, has a winery, Marilla Estate, but then started a brewery, um, and because of that, there are some lovely spaces in and around uh, uh, Mona, and beer is incorporated. And talking about building beer's brand um, presence, you know, it's it's lovely that when you go there, you can get to have a nice beer, and it's it's well served. The staff knew a little bit about it, and the beers were pretty on point. So, um, not so much the brewery of the week, but the beer in context or the beer in, you know, the the beer in situ brought to you by um, Mubru.
0: <laughs> beer in situ, great. Um. I look forward to that. I'm,
2: I'm going down there in, in June, so I'm, I'm heading to, to Mona and for Dark Mofo, so... Very excited. Oh, oh,
0: that looks good. And
1: everyone talks about it. I haven't been down. I would love to wax much more lyrically about, uh, or just wax, um, about uh, Mona generally, but um, we're out of time.
0: I can't wait. So, um, Matt, you're so travel coming up, if anybody wants to spot Bruce News um, team out and about. Matt, you are off to the States and the CBC, and then we'll be back briefly, and then we'll be um, all as a team down in Melbourne. Uh, then I'm following up with um, a week in WA in the lead up to Western Australia's Brewers Conference. Ian, you're headed to Hobart. You said in June, and then um, and then I think we're in in almost at BrewCon in August. So um, anybody want to get in touch when we're out and about um, and catch up? That would be great. And um, we're looking forward to having some. Uh, new co-hosts alongside Ian and I over the next couple of weeks. Uh, So shout out, we're gonna have uh, Claire Clouting join us next week, which should be really great now that she um, is off doing her own thing. She can kind of um, give us her thoughts on the news of the week. And it was a
1: great chat. I I really enjoyed that chat with her as well. But uh, actually on on that point, you know, if you see us out and about, when, I wasn't joking about being at hiker and, you know, seeing Rawlings and Paul. But when I was there, I was there on Tuesday and, you know, uh, this fellow came up to me and just said, oh, look, you know, I just want to introduce myself. I'm a big fan of the show and just wanted to say and it was so big shout out to Michael Mowbray, um, who happened to be there, listens to the show. I don't think he's in the industry, but obviously very, very uh, loves and supports the industry. And it was really nice to have somebody come up and say g'day.
2: He's yeah. been a homebrew for a for a for a long time, Matt. And I, I think I probably know why he might have been at um at, at Hiker that day and I, I've I've tasted what he was there to taste and it's it's bloody awesome. Um I don't wanna ah. in case in case it's not public knowledge yet I won't won't okay. won't say anything about it, but I, I was I was shaking my head impressed at it.
0: Oh well this is look at us ending I love stories like this. This is great. So um yeah, shout out. Get in touch through the Radio Bruise News Group. Leave us a message um, via the website or send us an email, producer at Bruise News. Um, we'd love to see you. And that wraps up another news of another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, Ian Watson and Matt Kierkegaard. The show is produced and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible.